This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Curtis Tate. A bill to rename the Department of Health and Human Resources is the first bill to complete legislative action this session. House Bill 4274 amends 100 lines of West Virginia Code and renames the DHHR as the Department of Human Services, the Department of Health, and the Department of Health Facilities through various sections of code to reflect the reorganization into three separate departments. The bill also makes changes to reflect any bureau name changes made through the reorganization. It has gone to the governor for his signature. The Senate passed and sent eight bills over to the House, including one controversial bill that permits teachers to teach intelligent design in public school classrooms. Brianna Heaney has the story. SB 280 allows teachers to discuss one or more theories about the origins of life on Earth, including theories that life was created and designed by a higher power. Senator Amy Grady, a Mason County Republican and the bill's author, says the bill allows teachers to answer questions that widely accepted scientific theories can't answer. That is because we do not want to discourage students from asking questions um, about theories. The definition for theory is that there is some data that proves something to be true, but it doesn't have to be proven entirely true. Um, even with Darwin's theory of evolution, there are scientists who doubt that based on evidence of uh, fossils, fossil records they find, that show there are more um, intricate designs than what follows Darwin's theory. However, Senator Mike Wolfel, a Cabell County Democrat, says this is a clear violation of the Constitution, specifically the Establishment Clause that separates church and state. There is plenty of case law out there uh, from Republican judges, the Kitzmiller case jumps out at me, that intelligent design has been struck down as impermissible to be taught in public schools because, because the creative, the prime being, the God, the supernatural creationism is outside the realm of established, recognized scientific theories. If the case were brought to a higher court, the litigation could cost taxpayers. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Two of the bills on third reading in the House today dealt with aspects of medical and social care. The key component of House Bill 4432, relating to mid-level practitioners, allows physician assistants to own their own practice. The bill contains a change in how certified registered nurse anesthetists are supervised. Current code allows a CRNA to administer anesthesia under the supervision of a physician or dentist. The new section changes that to allow the CRNA to administer anesthesia in cooperation with the physician, podiatrist, or dentist. The bill passed 70 to 26 and now goes to the Senate. 
House Bill 4594 extends the foster care managed care contract. Bill sponsors say the shift to managed care organizations has worked well. This bill was recommended for passage during the 2024 legislative session by LACRA, the Legislative Oversight Commission of Health and Human Resources Accountability. The bill passed 96 to 0 and goes to the Senate. The legislature's first public hearing of 2024 will be Wednesday morning on House Bill 4654 regarding public facilities, minors, and obscene material. Randy Yoey has more. The public hearing comes before House Bill 4654 goes to the Judiciary Committee for debate. The proposed legislation would remove schools, public libraries, and museums from the list of exemptions from criminal liability relating to the distribution and display to minors of obscene matter. The bill sponsor, Delegate Brandon Steele, a Republican from Raleigh County, says obscenity concerns from several school and public librarians in his Beckley area community prompted the bill drafting. They've talked to me about, you know, some of the materials that are coming into the libraries these days. You know, the law that we have on the books was designed, you know, back in the 70s and 80s where the topic was more along the lines of sex education and things like that that were a little more innocuous. What, what our librarians that are talking to me are seeing that are coming in is material that is outright pornography. But Delegate Joey Garcia, a Democrat from Marion County, is among those delegates opposing the bill who call it an attempt to ban books. It's, I mean, it's, it's a flat-out book ban bill, and it's, it's really weaponizing government, weaponizing criminal law to attack professionals that are librarians, that are educators in our schools, that are in museums with respect to obscenity, and, and that's just such a very vague standard right now. So this would make them make uh, criminal prosecution a possibility, which is going to chill free speech, and it's not a good thing for our state. Steele says there's no book ban language in the bill. I wouldn't call it a book ban, and I would call it a pornography ban on showing pornography to children. I mean, if people want to call that a book ban, I mean, that's their business. To me, what I want to keep from happening is our children going into a library to learn and instead trying to be influenced by someone peddling pornography. Garcia says the political desires of those supporting the bill are painting with broad brush strokes. I mean, it affects issues of racism. It affects issues of history. It, heck, it could even affect the Bible. I was looking at uh, banned books that have happened from similar bills across the United States, and they've banned a book on Roberto Clemente, on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's what's on these ban lists, and that's what individuals, if they don't like something that's in the library, they want to try to make somebody fear that they're going to be criminally prosecuted, and that's not right. So what's obscene? Well, state code defines obscene in part as something that the average adult would find sexually explicit in an offensive way, or something that appeals to a prurient interest. And prurient means excessive interest in sexual matters. I asked Delegate Steele for his personal definition. Uh, what did Justice Holmes say? It's hard to write down a definition, but you know it when you see it. That quote was actually from Justice Potter Stewart. The public hearing on House Bill 4654 is 8.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Hundreds of students gathered at the Capitol to spread their tobacco-free message. Emily Rice has this story. Students from across the state visited the Capitol for the 20th annual Tobacco-Free Day to represent West Virginia's youth-led tobacco prevention movement, RAISE. RAISE aims to educate the state's youth about the dangers of tobacco products and empower them with tools and resources to take back to their schools and communities. 
Ava Johnson is a Rays ambassador from Spring Valley High School in Wayne County. I thought that it's really important because we have a really big vaping issue in high schools. Like, it's super bad. So I was really excited. I've gotten a lot of people to actually quit around my school. Um, we had about 20 kids per month going to our counselors for getting suspensions for it. And now it's down to about 5 to 10. She said she has helped friends and peers quit vaping, and they in turn have helped their families quit. So if somebody comes to me with a really bad vaping issue, I normally say to try to start with like some nicotine gum or something because it can really help you cut down on the use of vapes in general. And then from there, it's a lot easier to quit. Um, I've actually helped a few people at my school quit. Ray's works with the American Lung Association and Catch My Breath to cut down on vaping rates even on an elementary school level. They are able to use many grants from the American Lung Association to cause commotion and bring awareness. Most people aren't educated on the bad things about tobacco. So we educated a lot of people. I had three people join my race crew after we did that. So commotion is just anything that pushes the word of tearing down big tobacco lies to the community. Johnson said there are 66 race crews in 32 of West Virginia's 55 counties. She hopes to get raised crews in each county. We want to have legislators understand the importance of stopping it earlier on in life. So we're trying to target a lot of high schools and middle schools so that it's not a big, huge pandemic around older generations to come. In 2021, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that West Virginia had the highest percentage of youth vaping in the country at nearly 36 percent of high school students. For the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. The legislature's education committee started off the week discussing who is responsible for maintaining records for special education and teaching about human development. Chris Schultz has more. Individual education and 504 plans provide accommodations and services to students with disabilities. Accommodation logs are just one form of documentation that some counties have chosen to use and not a statewide requirement. The House Education Committee Monday afternoon discussed House Bill 4860, which changes code to clarify that a general education teacher cannot be made responsible for accommodation logs, because that responsibility falls upon the special education instructor. The bill's lead sponsor is Delegate David Elliott Pritt, a Republican from Fayette County. He is also a middle school social studies teacher and was joined by other educators on the committee to praise the bill. I don't know that everyone quite understands what an unnecessary burden it is to go through a sheet of paper every single day for 50 <laughs> students and check mark every single accommodation to prove that you're doing your job that you're already mandated to do by federal law. So not only is it incre it's creating more legal liability for teachers than less. Committee Minority Chair Delegate Mike Pushkin, a Democrat from Kanawha County, spoke in opposition of the bill. He said he trusts teachers to teach, but recognized the reality that a lot of students in the state have IEPs while there is a shortage of special education professionals, and those that are in schools cannot visit every classroom every day. Education, I think that it's not practical to have Someone that's not in the room responsible for signing off on something that they can't really verify whether it happened or not. And um, I share the concern of the superintendent that it could very well not be done because we're putting it in statute that the person responsible for it is not there. 
the bill was recommended to the House floor. Tuesday morning in the Senate Education Committee, senators discussed Senate Bill 468. The bill creates the Baby Olivia Act and requires the State Board of Education to provide courses on human growth and development related to pregnancy and specifically inside the womb. The bill specifies that a three-minute video entitled Meet Baby Olivia, a never-before-seen look at human life in the womb, be shown in classrooms. Senators watched the video and voted it to the Senate floor. A previous version of the bill would have allowed the Attorney General to sue for damages and injunctive relief on behalf of any or all residents or citizens of West Virginia against any person or entity that violated the new Baby Olivia Act. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. Today was facing Hunger Day at the Capitol. Both major food banks in the state were joined by local food pantries to promote legislative priorities. According to the USDA, more than one in four children are food insecure in the United States. In West Virginia and Kentucky, at least 78,800 seniors are living in poverty. To continue this discussion, reporter Brianna Heaney invited Cindy Kirkhart, the chief executive officer of the Facing Hunger Food Bank, and Senator Mike Wolfel, the Senate Minority Leader from Cabell County, to help us better understand the scope of the problem. My name is Brianna Heaney. We're here with Cindy Kirkhart, CEO of Facing Hunger Food Bank, and we've got Senator Mike Wolfel. Alrighty guys, so we are talking about child hunger in the state. What are some actions that the legislature is doing and could do to address child hunger? Well, Bree, such an important topic. And I know the Senator has been long supporting our hunger relief efforts at Facing Hunger. In our service area, one in four children suffer from hunger. We're serving 5,000 children a week with backpacks throughout our 12 county service area. So I think we're all committed to how can we gather resources to lift everyone out of poverty, the families and then the children. But we understand that in order to really overcome multi-generational poverty, we've got to feed our kids and let them get an education. So the legislature since 2018 really has focused on child hunger through supporting backpack programming and funds through the Department of Education and certainly supporting the food banks so that we can take those resources and um, attack as many kids as, as we can and resolve hunger for them. Coming out of the Senate, coming out of the legislature, what are some um, actions that be, are being taken to address child hunger in the state? Well, we're, I happen to be from Huntington also, and where I live, there are food options through churches and community organizations, teachers. Um, our kids are in pretty good shape, but as a state, we're 34% higher. We have a higher rate of childhood hunger than the rest of the country. Um, and sadly, in many counties, the options for, for example, summer feeding are not available. So I have a bill that I ran uh, through the Senate last year and uh, wrote again this year, which would require each Board of Education to assess what hunger needs are being met or not being met in their county. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't require them to feed children. Uh, but until we assess what's out there, and what counties or areas are deficient, we can't really attack the problem. Uh, sadly, last session, nobody in the House bothered to take that bill up. 
it just died. It was never even considered. So same bill went over there the very first day of this session, uh, ideal language. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the House of Delegates will see childhood hunger as a priority and make sure that we take this step toward ensuring that all kids in our state have something to eat. I'll ask you, um, Sydney, what are some of the headwinds to addressing child hunger in the state? Well, I will tell you, in spite of our best efforts, we are blessed with kids that are very bright. And if they have an idea about where they can get food, where they can get resources, they're going to go to those. If they have to ride a four-wheeler there, if they have to hitchhike there. Um, so I think it's really important that we meet these kids where they are. So to the Senator's point, really finding out what are the barriers. You know, if people have to travel 15 miles in to a local school that may right. have summer feeding, right. we're asking them to make a really hard decision about do I use that fuel for this, you know, or do I take care of the rest of my family? So I think that the efforts of the senator and certainly the legislature to let's get food to kids regardless of what it takes. Let's assess the landscape because West Virginia clearly has transportation challenges. So let's meet those kids who need us to act on their behalf and figure out how to get there. We also have a fair number of what I'll call food deserts in the state. We have places where there's not a grocery store readily available to people. Um, and again, with the opioid tsunami that our state is facing, child poverty is at an all-time high. Our child poverty rate in this state is 25% and rising. Uh, so the least we can do as a government, as a legislature, as a state, is to put nutrition in the bodies of those children. Uh, and it, you know, we have done some things in the past, but there are still so many places that I will consider a food desert where children just aren't able to secure the nutrition and it's not being provided by their extended family or whoever may be supervising them during those summer months, sadly. Mm -hmm. You talked about the bill dying in the House last session. This session, what are some headwinds that you're anticipating in addressing child hunger? Well, I mean, hopefully uh, the, the parties that, and I believe they will take up this bill in the House. I'm just very frustrated that we have good bills that get from one, one part of the building to the other and then never see the light of day. So I'm not trying to criticize any particular person or committee, but I expect that the headwinds on this will die down. And I appreciate you shedding light on this because uh, ordinarily around the state capitol, the squeaky wheel does get the grease. What is the plan, or sorry, um, when addressing child hunger, what steps is the legislature, legislature taking to not only make sure children have food available, but that they have nutritious food available? Go ahead. Well, I will tell you, this legislature is really interested in facts. So the Joint uh, Committee on Children and Families really did a deep dive into what is available, what is being provided, and getting um, facts in front of them to understand the scope of the problem. 
So that's a nice first step. Um, the second step is, like the senator said, to really understand that folks are traveling great distances to access basic foods that typically cost a little more because they're through a convenience store, that type of thing. So we're asking them to spend more resources. But at the end of the day, you know, we have kids that are being so creative to resolve hunger on their own. So if we can really allow them to focus on the future rather than on their stomachs, we're going to really achieve great things for our great state. The governor's also made this a priority. So I think, I think you'll have all the different components of government stepping up this session and we're going to be able to make a difference. We talked a lot about food deserts. Um, West Virginia is a rural state. The majority of West Virginia is rural. It's also a mountainous state. Getting around is not easy in this state. Um, transportation can be a major barrier to procuring food for one's family. Is the legislature or organizations taking steps to bridge the gap to not only have food available, but to make sure that it gets into the hands of children? I think where you look there are the county's board of boards of education. Uh, the social services network, the churches, those are the people that are the real heroes of this. I may be able to sit here and tell you about a particular bill, but they're out there doing the work, you know, every day, particularly over the long, you know, holiday periods like the Christmas holiday and throughout the summer vacation. So I, I really think we've got a, a, a network in place that will pick up the ball once we assess exactly where the deficiencies are and uh, a lot of well-meaning people in the state that put actions behind their words. So I'm optimistic. I think the senator makes such a great point. There are so many people in every community, church vans that stay parked during the week, and all they need to know is what can they do. And I think the assessment is going to allow for very tangible steps that folks who are already doing a little can step up and do some more to get out to uh, the communities. You know, we have so many grand families that are raising their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So, uh, you know, keeping them in mind that in addition to their own food challenges, they're trying to raise children. So I think we've got a comprehensive network I think that the legislature is ready to act. I think we just, to the senator's point, get those squeaky wheels rolling and, and let's get action so that we can feed kids. What are some of those tangible steps? Well, I mean, to, well, I mean, basically to find the hungry kids where they are, identify where they are, and, you know, the food, the, these guys do a fantastic job. Uh, certainly, I've seen them in action over and over again. So the food is available. We need to identify who needs it and find a way to put those two together. Um, it, we can do it. We will do it. And uh, no matter how uh, remote the place may be, you will have good-hearted citizens that will find a way to meet the child up with the nutrition. And with some of the limitations in the past of congregate feeding and that type of thing, we have really picked up trying to go directly into communities. So, I mean, getting a bus situated so that kids can ride, eat, and then have activities. You know, some kids don't see a lot of people because they are very rural and remote. So there are all kinds of ways that we can make it fun 
give them something to do and address their nutritional needs. It seems to work in a lot of other places. We need to make it work here because to your point, we are very rural. It is a challenge with transportation, but West Virginians do a lot of great things in spite of, and this is the next thing where we can really do great work together. Yeah, absolutely. To make some of these happen, it, it's gonna cost money. Yep. What would it take to implement some of these programs like you just talked about, like having buses to take children to have food available and have activities, have a summer feeding program that had funding to get food to people and not just have it available? Well, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be done. Uh, this assessment is the first step in trying to figure out, you know, the scope of the problem. and. Uh, I believe it will be done. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. The first step is for the bill to move and the governor to sign it, which he will, and let's go. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Bree, very thank much. You so much. Sandra, thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia channel. I'm Curtis Tate. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.